I said nine is not enough. Nine is not enough. It's that so MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. And with me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing on this goal-filled week? There were there's a there were a lot of games with uh, with a lot of goals in them, but I don't really think that if you look at the 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 matchups, Colorado Montreal would be the one that you think of as the goal fest. Certainly not. Um... I don't think you would necessarily even think this is one that Colorado would win, let alone be the game where they score six goals. Yeah, just just a lot. Just a lot packed into that whole idea. <laughs> uh, Kai Kamara's four-goal game after a fashion. Yeah. One of them is an own goal. When, but hey, what can you When do? you score four goals, but the first <laughs> one's an own goal, so you really need to make up for it. This is North American Soccer Podcast. Um, the, I think the biggest, the biggest weirdest after the, after the plague stuff, which, which yeah. was a, which was, which hit as a, a, a bigger news item than I actually anticipated. Um, the biggest sort of news out of the league came from the DC Philadelphia game, um, in which the game was being played in Washington, DC, uh, Alejandro Bedoya scored very early for the Union and then uh, ran up to a microphone and I guess he found a field mic, which is something that is yeah. being used to mic the players and mic the crowd and make sure that you hear all those those satisfying thumps and yells, mm-hmm. hey, Congress, do something now and gun violence. Let's go. Yeah. And so I found out about this. Um like I think a lot of people sort of after the fact, and I just saw a sign that's uh, a little post that said, um, Bedoya lauded for goal celebration will not be fined. And I was just like, okay, that smacks of an MLS headline. If there ever was one, like, what, <laughs> what happened? Yes. And I, I admit it. Like I assumed maybe he had like a shirt underneath his jersey, like that kind of thing where he pulled up something that maybe had like some sort of message. But I certainly wasn't expecting anything to do with asking for gun control, nor was I expecting a, what I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do is run up to a field mic and grab it to uh, say anything, let alone what he said. And I was even more shocked that the league did the right thing and just kind of chose to not just turn a blind eye, not quite wholly endorse it either, but just the league essentially responded with, um, you know, we have a lot of passionate players who support many causes, which I think is probably about as uh, heavy-handed as they they can really be. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the league needs to, to be, I guess, maybe a little bit more middle of the road than we may like. Um, but I was also really proud to see that the Philadelphia Union Club stood behind their player and not just released some sort of statement, but also like retweeted and, and really emphasized the point that they were behind uh, their player. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, I don't want to say it's weird, but coming off of the news, of course, of the, the two other uh, mass shootings that happened, Uh, 13 hours apart from each other, I think a lot of people were kind of, you know, soccer becomes one of those things that it's a, 
socially and culturally aware sport where uh, luckily there's always an eye to the things that are going on, but I don't think people were necessarily expecting to hear something so direct in any MLS game, um, let alone from a player during an actual game, let alone in a goal celebration. That's really... Uh, I I definitely agree with all that because it's really... Um extraordinary to me to just the idea of I, I I watch a lot of sports and I try to think of how many sports games I've ever seen where a player picks up a mic and cuts a promo in the middle of it. Um doesn't Well the newscast the like the broadcasters are just sort of speechless. Like they just kinda let it <laughs> go because they can't really say anything. But it's I'm like, you can't do that. Like if you had just picked up a mic and been like, yeah, Philly you probably would have gotten fined. Yeah. Uh, and that's a great um, so point. I think it, that's a great point. People, people making the point that because it was something that is virtually like universally defensible, mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, uh, if it had been socially conscious, but like slightly more, you know, an, an issue that, that had slightly less broad support, maybe you'd see the league, uh, act differently. I think that this is something that this is something that I feel like soccer fans needed because mm, how do you, mm-hmm. even though things like sports are an escape, um, the events that took place in El Paso and in Dayton were so horrifying and it's really hard to look at, you know, the news and, and look at Twitter and, and sit with that. As a journalist, I was working the night of the El Paso shooting, and I wasn't working mm-hmm. the next night. And in a weird mm-hmm. way, when I don't work, it's worse because I don't have anything to do. Yeah. So I just sure. have to sit with it. Um, yeah. And, and it's hard when you are bearing – I feel like – it's hard to have that full, that separation, and so I'm really glad that this reflected the world outside. And I think that issues involving gun control and anti-fascist organizing are really pertinent right now in MLS, as you had the issue um, yeah. with the, the anti-fascist banner in Seattle that got taken down in Seattle's statement about that, where they tried to say like we don't mm-hmm. we made a mistake but we but we had to do what we did for the rules. There was the issue of, of Proud Boys being present at the March of the Match. Um in yeah. in the issues that have been had in New York City. This is a live issue that is that is taking place not just Days in America from, but in MLS. Yeah. yeah. And and in it's very I think what people want to like like it's tough because some issues are, are made to be political or politicized when I... They're, they're really not. They're just about keeping people safe and using common sense. I think that, that, that it's when you, when you look at those issues as they have been interpreted by MLS for the crowds, um, that's something that I think more than politicality... This, was, this is what the Seattle statement said. And I don't want to, to conflate anything with the... This is this is sure. kind of a little bit of a tangent based on the fact that all this is happening at the same time. Um, yeah. The 
the Seattle statement essentially said, we erred by putting Antifa in, I can't remember the name of the, the banner that has the three hammers on it. Uh, we banned by putting, we erred by, by, by putting all of those in a bin with people like the Proud Boys and calling them all political. That was our mistake. We shouldn't have done that. Um, because the issue is not to me politicality. The issue is safety. Mm-hmm. And people don't, if people don't, if groups are present that are making people feel unsafe, they aren't going to go to the mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Um, well, and I mean, I, I don't want to make too big a leap of faith because I want, I also want to appreciate that there are people who are uh, actively healing from this. And I mean, I'm still, I'm sure trying to make sense of it. And for many years to come, we'll be making sense of it. But you think about the level to which these things continue to happen and continue to escalate and how much damage a person can do with a military grade, uh, reloadable weapon, an automatic weapon, like is what is so often being used in these attacks. And you think, I mean, it's a matter of time before somebody does it in a crowded sports arena. And there's no, there's absolutely no reason to think that it, it wouldn't or couldn't happen in an MLS or a North American uh, soccer stadium when there's absolutely zero safety checks on, on guns and you can buy this kind of weapon uh, openly and freely in some states, in some states. Um, what, what really even just now is kind of sinking in for me about Bedoya's comments is that um, the the level to which there's a lot of nuance to the comments, he's singling out Congress. He's not, he's purposely making it an issue about government acting, not about Republican or Democrats acting. And it's in DC. Um, and it's in DC and the club and you know, from what I've seen so far, supporters really standing behind their player as well. Uh, I was kind of like, I was, of course, impressed, but I'm going like as a Canadian watching this um, and is a, a very uh, probably not vocal enough anti-gun advocate just across the board. It's easy for me to agree with his statements and be like, hell yeah, but it's a very different political atmosphere. Um, the city in which he's giving those matters the fact that uh he plays for philadelphia union matters the fact that the club uh supported him the way they did matters and the fact that the league has you know maybe not as strongly as we would like but has essentially stood behind the player um that also matters and it's not an insignificant act you're absolutely right and um i think a lot of the comments I saw online were um, earlier in the week, he'd been named to team of the week and a, a lot of supporters coming out and saying uh, he's human of the week. And Taylor Twelman, who's a person I don't always agree with, uh, even he voiced his support as well. And you, you never quite know with Taylor which way it's going to go <laughs> or, or if it will indeed even be the same argument or make complete sense. But um, it, it's just, to me, it makes me proud to be a soccer fan. It makes me proud to be uh, an MLS fan when players, clubs, um, stand and, and supporters stand behind this kind of thing and go, it is political because it matters. We yeah. live behind this. And um, I believe uh, Brad Guzan was asked about it for some reason. 
Um, and he backed up Bedoya as well. And I just, to me, uh, that says something so much bigger than even just talking about gun control and matters of safety when um, communities of people recognize that uh, we do actually stand for something more than just getting together on a Saturday and watching people kick a thing around. That's great, too. You say maybe is an escape, but it's um, it's not created in a political vacuum. Yeah. And uh, these clubs are supported and attended by by fans and families. And um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And in, in I very I'm also very happy that they took that stand because I feel like that's a stand um, that they don't take often enough. And when you listen, you know, you hear Don Garber at the halftime of the All-Star game, as he did in the Newsweek, um, or sorry, in the Adweek profile of MLS, say, oh, I always, I've always said that MLS is a league for a new America, which is funny to me that he says that he's always said it, when I feel like I've only heard that phrase once or twice in the last six months. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to use that as a part of your pitch for the league, you have to stand behind the communities that you're talking about. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think they're, they're also smart enough to realize who their supporters are and that, uh, despite what soccer may have as a reputation in North America, it's uh, a big attractor of the socially aware. Um, it's a lot of these clubs have big, you know, it's, it's a community and people are organized and they care about these things. And, sometimes you just need somebody to say it. And not only is it, of course, political and athletes should speak up, it's imperative they, that they do because not everybody always has that voice. And, you know, Bedoya recently has had a lot more highlights on him and had more media attention. So it says a lot about his character that he's using that um, the way he is. You talk about athletes having a platform. But I've never quite seen it exercised exactly that way. No, for sure. And, you know, gutsy move because, I mean, can you imagine if that was the NFL? He'd never play again. Yeah. Um, so. Absolutely. Uh, Philadelphia, the, that was a, a 5 1 win for Philadelphia away at DC United. Um, mm. and we could break it at th that game down in a second, but the big. I would say the big news, I mean, between this, it really, between that leading into this weird series of, of transfers, it really feels like everything has been happening in the last couple of, of, yeah. of days. It's been a busy MLS week. Including today, where we found out the, the rumors that had happened on Twitter that uh, Wayne Rooney was meeting with representatives of Derby County, Derby County? Um, escalated very quickly, and that move is made official. That at the end of this year, he will leave DC United to join Derby County as a player coach, um, with no transfer fee, but they'll clear his salary, but they'll void the last year of his contract, um, which will clear off DC United's books. Uh, apparently, the move was made. As a result of, um, you know, sources told the Washington Post that his family is not adjusting well to D.C. and they want to move back to the um, the Merseyside area, uh, which is close enough to Derby to, to apparently to be uh, applicable. 
Um, and he, when Brexit's better than Trump, it's... <laughs> and he himself talked of opportunities. You got to take opportunities when they come up. And, and I guess if this is his... He's, he has developed in D.C. A, a great leadership role. And perhaps player coaches is not an insignificant role or, or, or you know, is the the path he's going to want to take with his life. But um, Steve Birnbaum told the Post that he was devastated by this news. And um, and it's it really does feel, my, my tweet was, we hardly rue you. And... And uh, like a like a like a popular Netflix show, it's being canceled after two seasons. <laughs> Just when it was getting good, too. <laughs> no, I mean it's uh, well. I've always said that if you're going to announce uh, trading your probably best player ever from the club, oh, I might get in trouble for that. But whatever. No. Um, it should be after a five-one loss, and you are entering your ten-game stretch before the playoffs. <laughs> Like, you just can't avoid the ill timing of news sometimes in MLS because the rest of the soccer world moves at a different pace and a different schedule. Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, it seems like a good move for him. He, As you said, his leadership qualities have really developed at DC United, and um, he could have come over and just sort of collected the paycheck and not done a hell of a lot. He's He's worked harder, I think, at DC United than he has at any club, possibly oh. since his early Everton days. And it, it makes sense for him to find the opportunity to look ahead to what um, comes after soccer. And he's matured a lot as a, a player in the last few years. We've seen a, um, obviously always an aggressive goal scoring talent, but we've seen a player who's gone from kind of uh, disgruntled, um, not often used Manchester United striker to a player who seems like, He's like rediscovered the game and enjoying himself and also not just looking to develop himself, but looking to help other players as well. It's obvious he's had a big impact on DC United, not just because of his talent, but because of what he's been able to offer in the locker room to the team. I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, I actually kind of think to a certain degree, um, the impact of that game specifically, it almost is the opposite. I I, I feel that I it has a it has an ancillary coincidence, but it almost wipes that news off the off the slate, you know? Like mm -hmm. the news the the news cycle is firmly created anew by the fact that DC have have made this move and then as a result of that move made half a dozen other moves, including uh, a, mm -hmm. a a TAM for Gammon and International Spot trade which i always love uh i always love imaginary space money, space money trades. there were two actually because they mm -hmm. they they sent they sent gam to minnesota for an international spot and then got an international spot from portland with more gam uh for tam and then they sent an international spot to vancouver with seventy-five thousand in tam for felipe from vancouver Felipe Martins completes his uh, his term. He's also we don't see, I don't see this on you on the the wonderful list that you sent me of the the text list of, um, but he, they've also signed Emma Boateng from um, LA Galaxy. Oh, wow! 
Wow, um, that must have just happened. Then. That happened. Uh, I remember hearing about that earlier today. And they're meeting with representatives for Mesut Ozil. Yeah. <laughs> which which is <laughs> the more head-scratching one to me is Ozil, but... Which, I mean, and he's is he st- he's still playing for Arsenal at this moment, yes? He's, he didn't move on? Yes. I believe or so. Or I just... I'm, I'm not the biggest... I'm not the uh, the the most uh, up on my Arsenal transfer news, so I don't okay, know if he okay, maybe okay, moved on okay. to it or had an intermediary step. But uh, the, the that's one of those where it's a I legitimately believe the meeting is true in terms of it being a silly season thing. I legitimately yeah. believe the meeting is true, but you can have lots of meetings without ever having any uh, meat on the bones of the <laughs> the actual deal. It's true, and and we were sort of talking beforehand, and I was like, that that to me is not really the player you want to bring in. I mean, Ozil is a a singular talent unto himself, but this is a guy who, like, he doesn't even train at Arsenal because he's had too many injuries, um, and is one of the rarefied players at a top European club where like he just doesn't train because like he does his own little side sessions, mm-hmm. but they can't risk injuring him, and then they're just like, whatever, he's good, he'll just join on game day. Um, that's not the kind of thing DC United needs right now, especially given where they're, the position that they're in, because, um, work rate wise and, and defensively the Boateng, Boateng, uh, transfer makes a lot of sense. Felipe makes a lot of sense as well, because they've got a hole to fill in midfield. Um, yeah, (laughs) I mean... Ozil's a, a fantastic talent, and he could come in and be very exciting, but I would imagine that meeting might go like, so here's what we're willing to offer you, and Ozil just not saying anything and walking out of the room and going to play in China. Yeah, and you you mentioned, you kind of compared it to Pirlo, and I don't know, playing for New York City, and I don't know if this is fair to Pirlo, but it, it sounds like that could be a scenario where it's like, he doesn't have that much of of his uh, of his skill or his or his ability to influence the game with him, but because he is a uh, because he's a big name, we all have to say that he's very good. Well, my thing with Pirlo was Pirlo had had some good moments with New York City, but it just became very apparent that, especially with new clubs joining the league and just talent increasing tenfold every year uh it was just kind of sad to watch Pirlo be the wizard he always is but it's just a physical game in a physical league and when you can't run and you can't take a shoulder check it really hinders you in the midfield and so my my question with Ozil is not oh will he be good it's if you have a player that you're spending that much cash on that is a high injury risk and you're wanting somebody in the midfield, uh, I just don't think Ozil's going to go the distance. A Rooney-type player makes sense because he's built like a shithouse, but uh, Ozil, a little less so. Yeah. um, Bringing it back to the idea of of DC itself, um, I think that the uh, I think that 
I think that it is really tough for them to move past it because obviously he's such a big star and he played such a big role in resetting them. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like they will be able to continue past that reset where, mm-hmm. you know, um, they're certainly nowhere near the club that they were um, when he joined. They've, they've, the, they've changed stadiums. They've brought a, a, they've brought people in. They've lost people. Um, and they're clearly hustling to get somebody to, to continue that excitement past the time that he leaves. Yeah. And I think that that will be successful. Um, sure. I would, I would have loved to see him hang around long enough to win. And, um, I don't know whether or not that's going to happen this season. Uh, it always, you know, uh, it always could, especially with, um, playoff formats, um, growing ever tighter. Cause I think mm-hmm. that we're now in, I think the new playoffs, um, lose, d- uh, two legged, um, two legged ties, I think. So I think they're, yeah. I think they're now all single elimination. So, so you never know who will perform well on, on the day, but certainly a result like this, 5-1 from Philadelphia, which I think was great for Philadelphia because they had been for a long time, um, even though they were still top or, or near top flagging and having some mm-hmm. unfortunate results, um, Philadelphia really chose this, this game to, um, to put their stamp on stuff and say, you know, we, we are still top. We are still going to be doing this. Um, do, uh, but it was a, but it certainly wasn't a great showing from DC who did have them there, uh, who did have, uh, Rooney on the, on the pitch. The, you had the first early goal from, from Bedoya. Um, there's this, and this isn't the first time you hear about this this weekend, this week. Um, Moreno is grabbing a Chibilco and it's given as a red card. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and and I guess I guess if it's the last defender you do it, but there have been a couple of like there have been a couple of, of penalties given and, and red cards given for that sort of contact, and I wonder how much shirt grab is is a shirt grab, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in Moreno's case, this one for me is a little bit more clear cut because he's just all over the player, and while it's not one direct tug that's bringing down the player. I mean, he's pulling the player back out of position. He's got his hands all over him. It's pretty, for me, this one's easy to say you're denying a goal-scoring opportunity, and given his position and the fact that he's last defender, I see it as if you're going to give the penalty for a foul then like that, then you kind of have to give the red. Um, It's... It's tough, like I see what you're saying, because I don't want to get into the territory where just because you got a wrinkle in your jersey in the penalty box, that's being given as a penalty in a red card. But this one for me was a little bit more clear cut. The Moreno's, he knows what he's doing, and he's doing everything he can to just throw, throw him off his balance and deny that opportunity. So when it's so intentional like that, to me it's hard to say, well it wasn't that bad. He's like, well, he's still trying to foul the player and he did it. So whether it's a Jersey, whether it's an arm around the neck, whether it's uh, a slide tackle, 
is kind of beside the point. Definitely agree. I, I, I see what you're saying, and I think that you are correct. And uh, but unfortunately, Hooray! despite his despite the the righteousness <laughs> yeah. of the penalty, Shabilko completely blasted over the bar. <laughs> That's the crazy thing about a five-one win when it could have been six or seven. Absolutely. Um, to miss the opportunity to go up, um, to nothing, so relatively early into the game, um, is. A little silly, but... So many of these... This... So, what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say, um, I thought that DC showed a little bit of fight, sort of a little bit too late, um, and looked like in the second half they might be able to come back, and then Philadelphia just kind of keeps rolling. <laughs> so many of these passes are wonderful. So many of these goals for Philadelphia are wonderful passing moves. Um, yeah, I wanted to sh- wanted to show the second one by uh, where you have this this just really rhythmic, great uh, pass for Kai uh, Harris Manunian plays in Kai Wagner, who uh, sends the ball into the middle for Marco Fabian, and that is the the lo- the long the long stroking passes. Um, yeah, cut DC apart, it's- and they were. Uh, we're so graceful for Philadelphia in, in collecting these goals. It really was, you know, and I, I thought that um, DC, I think having the three, starting with the three defenders at the back, uh, which has been working for them as of late to some degree, um, Philadelphia was just really able to exploit that and use their wide wide players to, to great effect, especially on the counter. Um and there, there just wasn't enough there from from DC. And when you can pass the ball, like you say, with those long stroking passes, but also with the precision that they had, um, I obviously you can't say that DC played particularly well because they lost five one. <laughs> but this one was also Philadelphia in high gear, um, and it says a lot when you can miss a penalty and still win five one. Um, and all all the big boys showed up for this one. It was a good team effort. Uh, Briant gets a goal off a set piece for DC, but otherwise, um, yeah, it makes the, the news this week and some, some changes and trades for DC make a little bit more sense that they're moving a lot of pieces around to go, okay, we're still in fourth place, uh, <laughs> but we haven't won a game since May and we need to score some goals. And defensively, there's just points here where they're, they're, as you said, just getting shredded to pieces and it's hard to envision them playing any of the three teams above them, which is Philadelphia, Atlanta, and New York Red Bulls, and not just getting completely uh, destroyed if they're not uh, staying with their runners and, and able to provide some defensive width as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this result enabled them... Uh, to, I'll have to look, double-check the tiebreakers on what, on what that scenario would have been, but... Uh... Atlanta had briefly, I believe, pushed past them into the uh, into the number one position in the conference uh, before, um, with their three nothing win over LA Galaxy. Absolutely, and uh, we should know as well. But I mean, by the time this airs, Atlanta will likely have beat Orlando because it's two nothing there in the 88th minute. Um, so they'll be tied for points with Philadelphia. Oh, again. that's but a this... uh, that's a that's a U.S. Open Cup game. Oh, it is never this, mind. It is the semi, not only did they did they win and and, and keep pace at the top of the table, um, they are poised to win their U.S. Open Cup semifinal two nothing and host 
the final of the tournament um, at the Mercedes-Benz Sorry. Stadium. Glad someone's paying attention. So it is. Um, but uh, somebody, people that are not paying attention is the Los Angeles Galaxy defense. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. I feel a little bit vindicated by this match because I feel like uh, a lot of commentators finally caught up with the fact that LA Galaxy's just not that good. Um, <laughs> and despite a lot of talk talking up of uh, what they would do without Zlatan, this was... I mean, two own goals to kick things off. Like, it's a bad day at the office. Um, yeah. When you're you're playing an already red hot team in Atlanta, who let's be real could probably beat LA Galaxy pretty handily on any given day. Anyway, mm-hmm. it w- certainly would be interesting to see them with Zlatan um, and deal with that defensively. However. Um, this is just like unacceptable levels of bad from, from LA Galaxy. They just really, to poop the bed 23 minutes in against a red hot team like Atlanta, um, this is what we've been saying all season long in, in that, of course, LA Galaxy is going to be in the playoffs, but is that really going to matter when they're just so easily beaten by all the teams that are above them? <laughs> uh, you've got to think that the coach. It's going to take some of the players aside and say, boys, when you're under pressure, stop kicking the ball directly at the goal. Just. Yeah. Just. Just like get. It's. I mean, it's it's so easy to to say after the fact, of course. Right. Um, and my heart is. You, I, I try to have some sympathy with defenders. But um, yeah, I mean, just get the body position and just like. Beat it out to the side, like literally, even if it's a poor clearance, but just any way but back. I, the, where I kind of, you know, not necessarily, you know, have no sympathy because I have a little bit, I have certainly have sympathy with it, but where this is different to me than some of the past, um, some of the past own goals that we've seen in recent weeks where, you just sort of and and Kaku scored one of the one of these in his game, where you <laughs> yeah. uh, where you just fire the ball at a defender and hope that it pings in off their legs. It's not a a case of unfortunate, you know, person at the wrong time. It is actively a maneuver that you're trying to execute, and two different yeah. defenders execute the same maneuver. Um, which is to try and slide tackle in on a cross to direct it over the end line. And they do, yeah. after a fashion, but just between the goalposts. Yeah. And so just don't like, do it! And own, no, and own goals happen. It's a thing. Yes. <laughs> um, but for me, it's just, it's really sloppy play from both defenders that uh, I say they're they look like they're going to be low shots and they are like, first of all, I get maybe not wanting to screen your goalkeeper, but the goalkeeper's got that one. The first one, especially like, just let your goalkeeper take that shot. There's if you are keeping position, you're already making it more difficult to pull off the shot anyway. Mm -hmm. By sliding, you're actually creating, first of all, the chance that you're going to knock it in and score a goal but also really shielding your goalkeeper's vision. Um, there's a time to do it for sure. New England had a great example of clearing a ball off a line this week where you just got to go for it. Otherwise it's going to go in. But this one, 
the first one especially, it's it's no threat, and all of a sudden you're down a goal. And uh, I feel like Atlanta really didn't have much to do here to finish this one off. I have it here. They also get a penalty after uh, Gonzalez clears out an, an Atlanta attacker. And I just think only Atlanta could be three up at home without a goal from open play or really much effort <laughs> from their part. They had a couple good chances. They had some good chances. They had some good chances as well. But it's just like yeah. only only Atlanta could, could win by that margin. Um, solely through the actions of their adversaries. Yeah, exactly. Um, elsewhere in the Eastern Conference, we saw New York Red Bulls turn things around and just uh, tidily clean out Toronto, who seemed to kind of forget that they were playing this game. I don't know if I just didn't see enough of it, but the Toronto that looked like they turned things around... Um, including a, a Chris Mavinga that I thought had turned things around this season because he's had a couple of great weeks. Um, another own goal there from him in the 55th minute. And then Kamar Lawrence finishes things off in injury time. But this was a... Yeah. This is not a great showing from Toronto uh, this late in the season. This is that Kaku goal that I talked about where he... Or not a goal, I guess, an own goal where he, he just pings it. Just... Just yeah. the, the classic New York style of, of, of pinging it in. Uh, Josie Altador starts with this. I, maybe this is the, the highlights talking. Um, but, mm. but Josie has this early chance, um, where he just, just chip, chips the goalie to high heaven. Um, but it's called offside and it, it's offside, like on the center line. And it's just another one of these hairline offsides that I just have trouble with. Um, yeah, and, and especially to the point of being clear and obvious. So I almost, to a certain extent, they really seem to have shut off by this point, and and maybe I shouldn't be so easy on them because you do have to like keep fighting even if the referee is not uh, is not going your way. But I do think that they were kind of hard done by in some fashions in this game mm. because you had this, and then. Uh, New York are, are given another penalty, and and mm-hmm. and this is a scenario where I feel like there's very minimal contact, and I devise this this new uh, this new way of, of of judging these penalties about minimal contact, which is we had Wilmer Cabrera uh, talk mm-hmm. last week about is it a penalty on the moon? Is it a foul on the moon? And I think that you should look at the penalty and say, well, on the moon. Gravity is one fifth, so you wouldn't fall over as easily. So if 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 the foul occurred on the moon where you wouldn't have fell over, would it be a penalty? And I say mm-hmm. no. I say the attacker fa- falling or the attacker falling on that play is uh, is what draws attention to it. And and I think that it is the the contact does not merit the. Uh, the seriousness that it seems to have. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's harsh on Justin Morrow to to get sent off there. Um, I I I get the call, but I agree. I think BWP goes down a little easily here. Um, I guess there's no wind on the moon, but <laughs> <laughs> we should all we should all be taking. We should Cabrera was right. You know, Cabrero literally, was, Cabrero was robbing. Literally, about that the foul. whole time, 
the whole time you were talking, I'm just like, how do I make this joke work? How do I make this joke? Work? <laughs> how do I There's reference solar wind? Uh, There's solar wind. Moon, the solar wind. Moon moon landing conspiracies and MLS <laughs> calls from referees. Did this Can I game, it all in? Did this game really take <laughs> place on a on a Hollywood studio? In fact, it's a fake turf. <laughs> Um, um anyway this but, this one to me again, i think ultimately royer put that penalty right over the bar <laughs> yeah exactly it it kind of kind of evens out um toronto looking like they've got made life a little bit more difficult for themselves but the thing that we uh we can say also is that um given the other results um three te- the three teams above them for points all came away with nothing this week. So uh, I think long-term Toronto will feel a little bit hard done by. For me, the biggest concern here uh, for Toronto is that Chris Mavinga, who has looked much better recently, just really had a terrible game. And uh, for a player of his um, experience level, you just, you need to show up in these types of games and be more switched on. And, for me, they should have been able to get a point out of this game. So it, it's disappointing that they come away with nothing. And they got a red card, which is another one of these holding fouls, which uh, yeah. on on eighty eight on the 88th minute, um, uh, off of like a very far advanced forward ball from Robles. Uh, and I, it's a, the, the player falls down, but is it a foul on the moon? This is the question that I ask. I love that that's just going to be our new benchmark for everything. <laughs> um, oh, dear. The, you're right to say that a lot of other teams do not move forward, and I, I feel that ultimately, especially when you are where Toronto have been in, in trying to to recapture some, um, some momentum, uh, if you go to New York and you lose to New York, you've got to... Um, You've got to just sort of um, move past that and, and and try to do better the next time. The uh, what did, what do I have? Uh, uh, this is what I felt about New England LAFC, where yeah, New England tried uh, tried a couple things. Teal had a good chance. He didn't bury the chance. Um, the goalkeeper Matt Turner was great in a two nothing loss. You're, yeah. you're playing LAFC. What can you say? You can't. Yeah, LAFC looks fa- great. F- New England looked like they were improving. What can you What can you say about that? The fact that New England went on this nine game was nine games right unbeaten streak and showed up and played a, a reasonably good game against LAFC. That we saw all their major, I mean, their top top major players not succeed. Uh, Vela had a couple of chances. Obviously, Rossi is amongst their top great players. And that, that goal is just like, if you uh, can chip a ball like that, I mean, what do you do? What do you do against that um, kind of shot? And I the only, the only thing I can criticize about um, the New England performance here is that I think Teal's got Boo wide open on that play and probably should have passed it. And that that could have been maybe a point for new England. But as you said, you're playing LAFC. What are you going to do? Yes. The, um, 
the goal clearance is just I have it is just fucking heroic. Just yeah, yeah. just a real getting uh, Andrew Farrell just getting all kinds of tangled up in the net uh. afterwards. So much so that as uh, <laughs> Matt Turner's trying to help him out, the like net, the whole like frame of the net is lifting off the ground because he's so entwined. My favorite, <laughs> but, like my favorite goalkeeper heroics moment took place in Cincinnati, Vancouver, uh, mm. where Maxime Crapeau, uh sees a, is also trying to block one of these high chips, and he jumps up to try and get it. He hits the bar anyways, but he totally takes himself out on the goalpost as he's doing it, because he's three feet in the air as his leg and upper thigh connects with the post, and he's got to grab onto the netting so that he doesn't completely wipe out. Yeah, and that was a, a very uh, a play that sort of looked like nothing. All of a sudden, looked very, very dangerous, and it was hard to judge if it was because of the way Crapo reacted that it looked like it might have been closer. But certainly, uh, things could have gone a lot worse there. Um, and Crapo had another just week after week seems to just pull these performances out. Um, Cincinnati scored early, but Mbamuang, uh was able to. Uh, cannon a ball he received off of a free kick past Titan to tie it before halftime. Um, and last week I had, I couldn't remember Titan's name. I couldn't remember who the like top goalkeeper was that Spencer Ritchie had kind of taken the the spot from. Um, and and it was nice to get a, a good look at him. Obviously, uh, similar to Minone, where you just see the caliber of player, where maybe not a top goalkeeper at a, a top European side, but uh, when you put them in MLS, are the real deal. Just a, a really solid game, and there's not much he could have done against this in-bomb strike. Which kind of reminded me of uh, our old pal Gershon Kofi a little. <laughs> the old poor clearance falling and uh, just having a crack at it. This ball's just got so much pace on it, and it's great for in who desperately needed something to go right for him. Um, you know, he's, pu- he's putting in the work, but... It's been a rough go of things for him. Speaking of somebody who, who desperately needed something to go right for him, uh, Felipe is it, it well that would be every white cap. Um but, <laughs> but especially uh especially Felipe who laid on in the eighty fourth minute, um the the white caps pushed to the line, which is I think if if I'm if I'm any MLS team right now, I work on my push to the line and cut in plays until they stop working because they're working yeah. for everyone. Uh, cut to the line and Tybert splits Teton, uh, splits, uh, the ball through Teton's legs and Felipe, uh, collects it right in the middle of the six yard box. Um, for only a second goal as a white cap and it turns out potentially his, his final goal, if not his final touch, uh, for the team as he was traded to DC. Yeah, um, the, oh, I lost my train of thought. I was just like, oh yeah, Felipe's gone. Um, this, to me, is, it's almost a little infuriating because you think, you sort of forget what Tybert can do. And earlier in the match, I kind of tweeted, I'm like, how do we evaluate Tybert this season? Because he's been here, um, he's technically been getting to play in a more advanced position, which is his apparently his favorite position, but we haven't seen the attacking prowess come through. And like we've seen more of it when he's been playing as a 
like stalwart holding mid. And like minutes later, we see this run that he's able to, uh, as you say, take to the line, get through the goalkeeper's legs in, oh, I remember it was um, in Felipe's postgame press conference thing. I liked that he, he said, I told Rusty at the time, it was 50% his goal, but I think maybe it's more 99% him. <laughs> um, and when you read, when you see, I mean, Felipe does the work and he's in the right position, which God knows none of our strikers have been this season yes. where they need to be when the ball comes into the box. But this is really, uh, if, if you're giving out points for assists, Russell Tybert wins this game by just doing the work and, um, creating this just unmissable chance. I think that, that doing the work is is really my elastic feeling about this game and, and what I would say post. Uh, you know, at, at the end of last game, I said, well, it's a point, but they didn't really do any of the things that you want them to do. And, mm-hmm. and not only is this a win that breaks the nine-game unbeaten streak, or a nine-game winless streak, um, it really featured... Everything that you want, you want, you want uh, the ability to have great finishing, uh, to create chances where where they wouldn't have been otherwise. You want um, the you want the ability to capitalize on the chances chances you do get. Whitecaps exceeded their their expected goals. Um, it was a great defensive performance. They went down and they came back. They were after coming back able to get the final goal and they were able to hold on to. Not only the draw through through most of the, the they they spent a lot of the second half on the back foot, um, yeah. But they were able to hold that result and still get the goal, and they were able to then hold the lead. Um, they after what has been a really frustrating period, um, they did everything you wanted to, you would want of them. Yeah, and it, I mean it must be said even against a more recently successful Cincinnati side, who I thought overall played a, a fairly good game. I think had they played a little bit more direct, they might have gotten something out of this one. Um, and players like Lama and Ledesma just really not playing to their levels again. But uh, you, you, this one's an absolute must win. Where it's like, okay, guys, you get a. You get to play a bottom of the tabler right before you head in against two good teams. Um, and then those two good teams did them a favor by both losing this week. So um, in, in I'm talking about uh, Portland and DC United, two clubs that what the Whitecaps have to face next. So it, it, set, it sets themselves up for success. And that's something we have not seen in months from the Whitecaps is making life a little bit easier for themselves. They still have to do the work now, of course. But now they can go into these uh, two games against Portland and then DC United with uh, a little bit of confidence behind them and going, okay, well, if Minnesota can can get lucky and beat Portland and uh, DC can get absolutely clobbered and they've just lost their best player, um, maybe maybe there's a way. Maybe there's a way we can collect some more points here. And, and even if the playoffs are out of the picture... Um, can we gel the core of this team and really show what we're about going forward? Uh, there's also been a signing as well with uh, Michael Chirinos, of, um, the, who was previously of CD Olympia, the Honduran winger that uh, last year played 33 games in uh, Liga MX. Um, mm-hmm. It'll be really interesting. Apparently he was signed with the TAM that we weren't using on 
Lucas Venuto after we let him go. Um, so that's the uh, that's the question. So so I feel like I feel like we got so burned with signings in the last window that it's hard to to right now be like um, maybe this will be our version of a of a Bo or a or a, a, a Brian Fernandez where it can turn things around, but um, certainly positive. Um, six, yeah. six goals in 33 in Mexico ain't nothing. It's true. I mean, between Bangura and uh, Venuto, who are a similar type player and have been subs for each other, I, I liked Venuto a little bit more. Um, I think he was just a little bit calmer. I think maybe Bangura has more raw talent, but still has a ways to go in developing it. I think the the thing that caused people some consternation with Venuto, uh, mutually agreed departure, is just that, you know, we paid close to 400 grand for this player and essentially let him go for nothing. But, of course, you have to remember that we're freeing up salary space. And I didn't realize, I mean, Venuto's over uh, 550,000 in terms of salary. So that freed up enough space. And at this point, if we're bringing in another winger, um, maybe it's a like-for-like trade, but... I, I sort of see like nothing ventured, nothing gained. I don't. I didn't see Venuto as a player that was going to all of a sudden become red hot this season and really perform for us. Um, and then, of course, with the uh, with Felipe, Felipe leaving, that frees up another half million of cash on the uh, books. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Felipe's position similarly gets filled um, with something as Venuto's did. No doubt. Uh, the other big, we talked a little bit about Colorado, Montreal, but whoo, Kai Kamara with this, with Who his, wrote this script, <laughs> with this opening goal, he scores an own goal that is, he rises up for a header and we, we talk about don't clear the ball towards your own goal unless you're very sure. This certainly looked like an offensive header. This certainly, I don't know if we've, we've so much so that when, Colorado scored after this. I was like, "Wait, how is it one-one? Because Kamara scored. Because <laughs> he scored that." Ba- and I was like, "Right, right, 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 right." I knew that this had happened, and yet I was still so convinced by Kamara's header that I thought uh, it didn't quite add up. He's, he's karmically repaid, I think, by the fact I that th- he he pings the ball in and it bounces off Kano off of a goalkeeper's ass. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like he uh, made up for it somewhat throughout the rest of the game. Like, if you're going to score an own goal, it's very rare in MLS that you then come back and score a hat trick. So, (laughs) (laughs) like I said, four-goal game. Uh, Just... What what does this tell us about Colorado and Montreal? What this tells us about Colorado and Montreal, it tells us yet again, who even knows what Montreal is? They're still high up in the standings, but from week to week, I don't know what teams are going to be. However, given the the fight back that they showed, uh, Maxi Arudi had a great goal. Um, then they got a penalty. Tider was, able, was able to sink that one. They did fight back. This one, to me, says a lot about Colorado, that... Um, while there's still lots of problems there, they are going to be this year's, what San Jose was last year, I think Colorado is going to be this year, in just the spoilers of the party. There's really no hope of a playoff position for them, 
but you can bet they're going to take points off of people who really desperately need them. Mm-hmm. And they're showing some fight. And uh, Montreal has desperately got to figure out what's going on with their back line because this one for me was just... Um, <laughs> I have bonehead defense when, written down. Yeah. When you've got Evan Bush in goal, who did get an own goal with that I feel like he didn't know too, too much about. Um, y- you just... To let through six goals, and and a lot of them are just these open runs where it's just lazy, lazy defending that is allowing this to happen, and Colorado is able to capitalize on it, and they're the ones creating the chances, but um, it's crazy. Montreal is one of those teams where you look at the standings and you're like, wait, how are they still sixth? <laughs> They've just been so up and down bad, but 44 goals conceded. Um, the only team who's conceded more goals in the East is bottom of the table, FC Cincinnati. Um, they just, they need to figure this out because I feel like they can still make it into the playoffs, but they're pro- they have a very good chance of being the last, the seventh team in. And if they can't figure out their defensive game, they are going to have a nightmare of a time against the teams above them and the teams they'll be facing. I feel the same about LA. Um, Houston lost one nothing at home to Chicago um, with a with a goal from Nemanja Nikolic in the first half injury time. It feels like every time he scores now, we think, "Oh, what a good let off for Nemanja Nikolic, who's always worried about scoring." Um, great attempts. Uh, from Houston, including from Marlon Minotas, but uh, they can't uh, they can't make it happen. At one point, Chicago had this chance for two, uh, where Calvo uh, hit one post and it bounced off one post to the other post and continued to yeah. roll across the goal line. But the Chicago attacker that was closest to it was had his back to goal, and so he had to turn and just sort of watch it continue to roll on. At which point, CJ Sapong cleared it. Off the line, uh, wild! What a what a what a wild chance that was. Uh, San Jose was one one draw uh, had a one one draw at home against Columbus, or was it in Chicago? Or was it in Columbus? It, either way, it was a one one draw. Um, it was indeed in San Jose. Um, neither team was particularly yeah. great. No, Josh I mean. Columbia Zarda's got a goal, um, which they so desperately needed and got a point out of, an, again, another red-hot team. So better from Columbus doesn't give me a ton of hope that things have wildly changed there, but I, I feel like this one they were able to plug a few holes in the ship, and um, we'll see. Also against a, a Western opponent as, as well, um, I'm sure they'll take that point. A big surprise for me was the Minnesota-Portland game. Yeah. Um, Previous to this, I was really getting worried about the Whitecaps facing Portland, (laughs) um, given their form. I know Savaresi is not a big fan of this PK call. I am just not my Cascadian blood in this one. I I think that this is a a good penalty call. Ethan Finley just barely edges it under the goalkeeper's hands yeah. and is able to win it in the 92nd minute. But I thought this was a a good chippy game from Minnesota to and just the exact thing that they need to do um to just grind out some much needed points. I was I was really impressed with Minnesota to come away with all three in this one. 
great, maybe a little bit fortunate, but great double save by Vito Bonone, who looked great. Yeah, again, um, he he's been he's been really solid for Minnesota throughout, but in this game came up huge, and uh, Portland could not buy a goal. They had chances hitting posts, uh, shooting wide, came ever so close, but uh, it was not to be in the end. RSL, after, against the team, uh, RSL won 3-1 against New York, which I find to be a very surprising result because New York had been doing quite well. Um, in, in Alex Ring, uh, wallops it in. Uh, on four minutes to get four minutes to get the first goal for New York and, and give New York the lead, but uh, the combination of, of of great work finding Jefferson Sabarino wide and uh, an amazing strike from Albert Rusnak, um, just so so strong in the home performance that they had in, in defeating New York. Absolutely. Well, and the, the, and the Nick Bezler score, uh, goal that happened, um, in the 88th minute, <laughs> oh the just, God. like, the heel flick that I, I'm not sure back heel. he even, the back heel he really knows what he's doing, like, he's just sort of instinctively, like, put a limb out! Um, but shows the kind of confidence that can ooze through this team's veins when they're, uh, having their night. And this for me, it's, kind of ringing the alarm for uh, New York City, who has been really great up to this point defensively all season. They've been really good and just fell asleep. I feel like they, they vastly underestimated RSL. It didn't look like they'd done their homework at all. And RSL just came in and went, okay, sure, we'll have this one. As much as Ruznak's goal is fantastic, I mean, he's got an age to think about it and set it up because the defenders just sort of stand there watching him before they decide to close down. And it was just, again, really lazy defending um, for some clubs this week. Doesn't hurt New York City too, too bad. I think they can afford a couple of these performances. They've just got to really learn from them. Um, And, you know, RSL keeping the hope alive that they're just clawing their fingernails up the table and just not letting go of that sixth spot. Another surprise for me is that uh, Sporting Kansas City, who are currently 10th, went to Seattle, who's currently 4th in the conference, and took away a 3-2 a win. Yeah, this was a huge result for them. Um, I thought I'd, I was looking at the wrong game for a second, because speaking of like games with a lot of goals that you wouldn't necessarily expect, Seattle and SKC is, to me, not one you think is going to finish 3-2. Um, but a team, SKC's just needed answers. Uh, Vermees has tried to do so much with this team and they just kind of got bitten this year through, through injuries. And he's really had to piece together a team and try to get something out of it, but he's stuck to his guns. And this for me was just a a good old fashioned SKC performance, a little bit of Tim Melia magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts on this one? The return of Eric, uh, Eric Hurtado. Who uh, who scored on his debut? You found the Easter egg hidden in the highlights. Yeah! I didn't realize. Did he move recently? I didn't realize there had been an, uh, a change in the situation. Maybe he was injured for a while because he was still carrying a cast. Yeah, he's he's been injured. He's he's been at the SKC since the beginning of the season, but just has been 
injured and uh, fresh back from Hurtado Island, Eric Hurtado comes in. I think to, they've moved. Win. I think they've moved Hurtado Island to the Missouri River. <laughs> um, but uh, but in, 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 he really scores in a in a pivotal in a pivotal moment in that game because uh, Sporting Kansas City get the first goal from Felipe. Uh, with a give and go that puts him into position, there is a uh, penalty call as it's judged that Yuhu cleaned out Gerso and Felipe scores that as well. But then, uh, just early in the, is it? I think it's early in the second half. It's in the second half. Yeah, yeah, right. Seattle scores, and not too long in in just ten minutes after that, Dan Hurtado scores this to to sort of cut off the comeback. Absolutely. And even though uh, later in the game, Jordan Morris is able to get another and uh, close the distance a little bit, I feel like this is the right approach to the game, too, is is you get that against a team like Seattle, admittedly, um, without a ton of goal scorers and, and missing some pieces uh, and having their own problems at times. Jordan Morris really showed up to this game. Um, Attacking-wise, Seattle looked pretty good given the circumstances and SKC needed to put themselves on the board as much as they could to hang on. So this is a, a massive victory for, for them and um, hats off to Vermees for just sticking to his guns. And you know, it's, it's easy to want to panic when you're so low down on the table and everybody's like, it's not working. Hit the panic button by anybody. And then to just hold out and wait for some of your players to get better and, um, it's going to make things really interesting in the West if SKC can continue this, get more players fit, maybe make a move or two, um, tighten things up defensively. A stuttering Houston, a Portland Timbers that you, you're not always quite sure you know what it's going to do. Dallas, somewhere out in the galaxy. Hmm. Uh, you know, SKC's got a shot here. Uh, panic is a great way to put it because... Um... I think that both both of the goals come from, uh, you know, Ladero has played in with a perfectly weighted pass from Harry Ship, uh, and and the defense I think really panics at that point mm-hmm. because they're they're trying to scramble over to him, and Emilia had some really or he heroic he had some heroic charges at the far reaches of the area, but I feel like he played that card I think maybe one too many times. And that yeah. set up the second George, George Morris goal. I was going to say, I wasn't sure where you were headed with that, because I was like, well, he did come out of his goal and have a couple of heroics, but he also really pulled himself out of position on yes. one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last image from this game, though, is going to be Hurtado uh, <laughs> being played in, beating Kim Kihi and leaving him for dead. It's yeah. like it's a video game. It's like it's a video game in here. Laid, laid flat and, on his back. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that, uh, you know, a trade like this happens. And of course, the Whitecaps were probably the only people that really knew about it when it happened. And were just like, whatever, he's gone. Um, and I, I actually did see a, a few sporting fans who are like, okay, okay, this is a good pick. It's not costing us much. Um, and cause they remember him beating them <laughs> on a road trip not so uh, long ago. And 
it's it's great to see. Of course, we're big fans of Eric Hurtado here, and I I loved I loved this goal for you because I was like, you're just going to be so pleased. <laughs> Very excited. Um, our uh, our other news. There's not too many pieces, but uh, Cincinnati uh, appointed Ron Yance as head coach, who had been uh, coaching for Zwoll. Um, yeah. Johan uh, Dame moves back to an assistant. Um, I don't know how I feel about appointing somebody who has never been out of who's who's whose best previous acts was taking Groningen to the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to be good or bad, but it's like Johan Dame had done some work in 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 trying to fix things. And I wonder, with him still being there, if we don't see him in the role again, let's charitably say, you know, sometime in the next 12 months. I don't know if that's charitable. Yeah, or or, or just <laughs> at another club, and then you're stuck paying the salary of a coach that's not having as much success as your assistant coach that you had as an interim coach. Mm. Um It'll be interesting to see. I, I think at this point, Cincinnati's like they've got nothing to lose, really. But it it does show just how tricky it can be when all of a sudden things start to kind of go your way again, and you've got um, somebody stepping in interim who's able to actually fix some of the issues. You start to go, well, what if you gave the reins to him and you got let him build the squad next year? Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine there's just going to forever be a bit of a question mark over that one. I got to catch a little bit of Halifax Valor. Um, mm-hmm. HFX Warriors, Wanderers FC beat Valor 1-0 uh, in, a, in a match where they got a lot of different chances. This will be uh, the most well-known, I think, for the fact that the Valor captain on the 88th minute, when the team is only down, the team is only down like a goal. There's a there's an opportunity mm-hmm. here, and Valor captain Jordan Merle is tied up with Luis Albert Perea, and and thinks that he's been fouled either on the foot or on or maybe I, I can't tell if he thinks it's a leg or an arm thing, but he he bowls himself over, and when he gets up after there's no call, he's he's seeming cynical, and he pushes off on the referee. And the referee yeah. says, "Not a chance, my pal." It immediately sends him off. Um, My dude. And he walks off and he kicks a table that is at rings that is at ringside. And because it reminded me of such a of, of a weird wrestling event. He he kicks a folding table and knocks a bottle fifteen feet into the air in very uh really You should also dis- say a table that there is a man sitting at two. There are two people at this table. Yeah. And it spooks both of them. You know, do you, I don't want to, um, I don't want police players as anger at, at not feeling about whether or not they were, were hard done by, but you can't, that's so close to being an assault on a ground staff. It's yeah. just, you just can't, it's just not possible. It, it, it's easy. It's easy. It's, it's easy to be the, uh, the kind of play where you're like, um, Oh, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it is actually endangering the safety of ground staff who are, who are just there doing their jobs. And 
there's so many other th- ways that you can make a statement. I'm all for a good sideline hissy fit. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but that that is just so egregiously stupid. He kind of half-heartedly apologized on Twitter about the incident. But I, I think the league and the team has to come down on him really strong. And from what we've seen against, uh, or against in USL, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they look at, um, terminating a contract that they, they, it's, it's the club support is too small of a base to have things like this just slide over where they might at a bigger club. Um, Maybe that's overstating it, but uh, I, I certainly think there's got to be at least be some some fines leveled his way because it's just um, completely idiotic and in needlessly endangering people who are just there doing their jobs. Um, credit to the fact that the 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 the, the viral adjacent tweet that that sets us all off is from a Valor supporter who's mad about it. Um, yeah, credit to the fans for that. Um, that they are is is willing to to be critical of the players as anything else. Uh, in NWSL, we talked last week about Sky Blue. Um, they are getting the game against the Rain moved to Rebel Arena. It's happening. It's happening, people. Woohoo! Um, and they also just it's so strange that this is the team that it's been impa- the the positive so much positive has been impacting, but they are at the bottom of the league. And they went to Portland and came off with a one-one draw. Who and Portland was at the top of the table before that, including having a player sent off late. That is true. Um, Sinclair, uh, Sinclair had beaten Kaylin Sher- uh, Canadian uh, Kaylin Sheridan with a penalty kick, which is always funny when that happens uh, to with the the uh, two Canadian teammates uh, at, at cross purposes. Um, it really felt like Portland had been fouled more than that. Um, it, it's a second yellow at injury time, so so it didn't affect them too much. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, everybody wants, because Sky Blue's had so much trouble, it's really strange to think of them as the New York team because their profile is so low. Um, but they are the yeah. New York team, and they're playing in Rebel Arena, and I hope they're well-supported. The other big news is that, well, New York, uh, North Carolina Carriage took that top spot with a one nothing win. And Sam Kerr scored this amazing goal where she heads the um, she heads the ball at Ashton Barnhart and then uh, collects her own rebound for a goal that was named NWSL Goal of the Week. So that was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, presuming that nobody else gets sold, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, Sleep with one eye open, MLS. Maybe this week. Maybe this week will be a a, a quieter week. Um, and and during that week, where can we find you online? You can find me online uh, on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. Of course, this podcast is at that's so MLS dot com. Uh, please rate, re- review, and subscribe. And you can find it wherever fine podcasts are found. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Twitter at Team Bates. www.team-bates.com. Uh, yeah, do those things. Do the rate, review, and subscribing. Absolutely. And until next week. If you are getting sent off, um, I don't even know how to finish that. <laughs> it's just Don't kick a table. I, it didn't do anything to you. Especially if there's people sitting down at it.